Channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on May 11th, 2019, and is current through the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is Jeff Owen. Jeff, welcome to Weekly Trek. Thank you very much, Alex. We're obviously at the end of of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. How are you passing your, uh, I guess, Friday mornings for you since you're in the UK? Friday mornings, yeah. Well, Friday evenings by the time I actually get around to watching them with my partner. To be honest, we're continuing on with our rewatch of everything Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. So where are you up to? Season 3, Deep Space Nine, Season 1, Voyager in the original order. Are you doing Deep Space Nine 3 and then Voyager 1, or are you intercutting the episodes of Deep Space Nine and Voyager together based on broadcast? Uh, I'm watching them episode by episode, so I'd watch Deep Space Nine, then a Voyager, depending on what order they were originally broadcasting. Very sad and geeky, I know. Oh, no, that's super cool. I've always wanted to do that. I've, I've never quite mustered up the courage to figure out, to get the list of exactly the order of the episodes. When I do it, I, I tend to just do it by season block. So I'll watch season three of Deep Space Nine, season one of Voyager, then season four of Deep Space Nine, then season two of Voyager. But that is so cool. All right, Jeff, you know the drill. I ask my guests this every week. Please tell me one thing that you're loving about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? I'm loving the fact that we're getting so much new Star Trek. Ask me a few years ago if I could see Star Trek in this position. I probably would have laughed at you. But I saw a post the other day that said that over the course of the next couple of years, we're going to have double the amount of Star Trek series that there's been just a couple of years ago because we had original series, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. And now we've got potentially all of these new series coming on and the whole amount of Star Trek series is going to be doubling. I think that's fantastic. When Star Trek Las Vegas 2014 drew to a close, I went back up to my hotel room and I just started bawling like a baby because to me it felt like the franchise was mostly in the past at that point, that we all came together and had this wonderful time celebrating something, but that largely it was over and that, you know, it was going to be a case of us celebrating the same things we already knew over and over again. And fast forward five years and things couldn't be more different. You're right. I mean, we have, we are about to double the number of television shows that there have ever been for Star Trek. I mean, we've got five television shows at some point in production, and there were only five previous to that. Yeah, or six if you include the animated series. That's right, yeah. So, you know, we are in a very, very blessed position right now, and long may it continue. Absolutely. So my pick this week is, uh, I've done the Deep Space Nine documentary for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I'm going to do it again. And specifically this week, 
there have been a couple of comparisons put out by Trekcore of the high definition Deep Space Nine footage that we're getting in the documentary as compared to the DVD quality. And when you watch the documentary, Jeff, did you get a chance to see it yet? I haven't seen it yet. No, I've seen the footage that they, uh, they've shared online of the HD upgrades and it is looking absolutely fantastic. It is amazing. Yeah. So when you, when you watch the documentary, you know, it looks gorgeous. You know, it looks fabulous, but as part of the documentary, it's integrated into a, a, a high-definition documentary. So you're watching high-definition footage transition to high-definition footage. It's not until you go and see, and if you haven't had the opportunity to go and look at the Trekcore comparisons, if you just go to Trekcore's YouTube page, they're probably right at the top. There are two clips from Emissary, and it does the comparison where it has the DVD footage and it wipes across with the HD the picture quality is night and day so much better than the best available source we have right now, which is the DVDs. The streaming quality is even slightly worse than the DVDs for most people on their TVs. And so, you know, I, I knew it was a stupendous achievement, but until I'd seen the comparisons, it just has totally, totally blown me away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the footage of the Picard and Cisco. Uh, meeting on the Enterprise is absolutely glorious. It looks amazing. The great thing I saw as well is that the cinema release for uh, the Deep Space Nine documentary is actually going to be uh, released in the UK and Ireland as well. Uh, so we should get s- some uh, showings over here as well. That's right. So there has been an effort over the last two weeks to gauge interest from the UK and Ireland fan community, which proud of my home country, you guys have represented and come through and there will be cinema cinematic showings of the Deep Space Nine documentary uh, still to be announced at some point in the UK. So that's very, very exciting that we're getting a cinematic release outside of the US and Canada as well. Yeah, and they uh, they saw my rather impassioned pleas to bring it to Cardiff as well. So fingers crossed. Well, good. Well, Cardiff has a special place in my heart as far as my Star Trek fandom is concerned. The old Forbidden Planet that used to be in Cardiff is probably where I got about half of my Star Trek collectibles from when I was a kid growing up. I know that store very well. <laughs> oh, amazing. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. And we're already having a conversation about licensing, which is good because it ties into our first story for the week, which is that CBS has announced they are establishing a Star Trek franchise group led by Executive Vice President Veronica Hart and including Vice President for Star Trek Brand Development, John Van Sitters. They have announced that CBS is formalizing and expanding its franchise group for Star Trek. And basically what that means is there's a new team that is handling anything non-televised. So I'll just quote from the press release. The unit's goal is to invigorate and broaden the Star Trek fan community through additional branding opportunities such as podcasts, a reinvigorated StarTrek.com, and new digital spaces, consumer products and gaming, as well as live experiential events and global attractions. I think this is exciting in exactly what the Star Trek franchise needs. I will be honest, I have been extremely disappointed with a lot of the 
licensing that there has been for Star Trek in recent years in that we just haven't gotten a lot of products. Eagle Moss is really the only company that has been knocking out of the park in terms of providing consistently high quality Star Trek products that people want to buy. Outside of that, I mean, you know, I'm just reflecting on the visit that I made with TrekCore.com to Toy Fair earlier this year. You know, we were surprised and disappointed by how few new Star Trek products were were being showcased at Toy Fair for the upcoming year, especially since we have a show on the air right now for which there's very little that you can actually go out and buy. And four or five more shows on the way. It feels like just this conversation we were just having, flashback to the late 1990s when we had two television shows on the air and you had stores that were stuffed full of Star Trek merchandise. Fast forward to today... And that's just not the case anymore, even though we're at the point now where we have just as much Star Trek on our television as we did before. It is time for CBS to step up and do much more to serve the Star Trek fan community beyond what we've gotten already. And I think this is a step in the right direction. I hope this is a step in the right direction. Now, there's always a lot of corporate kind of info speak that goes into a lot of these things. And so I hope this is not just a way of announcing that they're going to continue doing exactly what they've done before, just in a slightly different team structure. I really hope and would like to see the franchise group put a lot of care and effort into thinking about the kinds of non-televised experiences we're getting as Star Trek fans. And I am hopeful that they will do so Jeff, how are you feeling about the Star Trek franchise group? Does this make you feel good? I think there's a potential here for uh, a lot of good things. What interested me, though, was that they mentioned podcasts. It was because up until only last year, they already had an official one. They closed it down. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see where they go with, you know, official podcasts again. As for the rest of it, gaming, I am an avid video gamer i and the fact that there isn't enough star trek games out there is a shame and i'd love to get back into star trek gaming star trek online just isn't quite for me personally but yeah i'm looking to see where they go with this if there's going to be games based on the new series that are coming out or embracing the history of star trek as well bringing out games across the board if you know what i mean but um yeah i'm I'm excited to see where it goes and uh, what what this is going to mean for future merchandising and future branding. Yeah, hopefully it's very positive. And it certainly seems like the event they've kicked off out of the gate with is one that is getting a lot of very positive attention. So they did open this week an exhibit at the Paley Center in Los Angeles, California. Uh, so if you're in the LA area, you can visit the Paley Center pretty much every day. It's free to enter. And they have a two-story Star Trek Discovery exhibit of costumes, props, makeup appliances, even a couple of set pieces from Star Trek Discovery. The exhibit is called Star Trek Discovery Fight the Future and will run from May 8th, which so it opened a couple of days ago until July 7th. So you've got nearly two full months to drop in and see it. This seems like it's part of uh, the beginning of an effort by the studio to try and get some attention for the Emmy nominations that will be coming up soon for Star Trek Discovery, but also is a great opportunity for fans to stop in and see some of the high-quality craftsmanship that goes behind the costumes and props. And if these are the kinds of events that the new Star Trek franchise group is going to be putting on, then I think we're moving in a positive direction. Jeff, do you see some of the pictures? Uh, It looks pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures from the website you shared which has got the the Andorian and the Tellarite makeup stands there and they look absolutely brilliant I can see Arium in the background as well 
and it looks absolutely phenomenal. I wish I could get there to see it. And I noticed it's free as well. All right. Well, good luck to the franchise group. I hope you make all my dreams come true. I think I may have said this before, but I want nothing more in life than to be pandered to by CBS. So I'm hoping that <laughs> uh, the franchise group will, uh, will fulfill many of my wishes for non-televised Star Trek going forward. But let's move from non-televised Star Trek to the televised version. We have some minor updates on uh, actually most of the TV shows that are upcoming, largely thanks to an interview that Alex Kurtzman did with the Los Angeles Times this week. So through that, we have updates on the Picard show and the Section 31 show. And we also have an update from Mike McMahon, the Lower Deck showrunner, on where that show currently sits. So we'll take these one at a time, starting with the Picard show. Kurtzman gave a quote on the Picard show that says, the mandate was to make it a more psychological show a character study about this man and his emeritus years. There are so few shows that allow a significantly older protagonist to be the driver. What happens when circumstances have conspired to not give him the happiest of endings? Hopefully it's a reinforcement of Roddenberry's vision of optimism. He's going to have to go through deep valleys to get back to the light. So this is something that they've kind of hinted at for a while, you know, in saying that Picard is probably not the man that you remember from the last time we saw him in Star Trek Nemesis. Um, but this does seem to confirm that the character is one who has gone through some tough times lately. And that's probably where we will find him in the Picard show. And that's probably going to be difficult for a lot of fans. But I think it could be really interesting to get a slightly different take on the later years for this character and to have a, a kind of a deeper exploration of the character that ultimately ends up reinforcing kind of the original Roddenberry vision. Jeff, how are you feeling about the Picard show? I'm really excited about it. It sort of ties in with the theory for later on in the show as well. So I'm not going to go too deep into it right now and tell you a bit more about it later. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's obviously going to be a, um, a darker take on Picard and obviously the later years of his life. What is it, 25 years after the events of Nemesis. That's right, yes. Yeah, so it's going to be Picard in a very different place. Very different place. I mean, 25 years ago, I was six, so that shows you how how uh, how much time and how many things can happen in the intervening 25 years to lead someone from the place that they were to the place that they are. So moving from Picard to Section 31, we have another quote from Kurtzman about the Section 31 show. He says, People locked in on Giorgio as being a wonderful oddity. She is wicked, devious, manipulative, and yet somehow radiates this incredible heart. People love her. I think it's fun for people to, sh to see a show with a protagonist who's entirely unreliable. At the end of the day, she's going to do the right thing, but in the exact wrong way. That's an interesting interpretation of the Giorgio character that I'm not sure a lot of Star Trek fans share. He definitely is coming at it more from the take the character based on the arc that we gave you in season two rather than the established history of the character from season one. But Jeff, how are you feeling about Section 31? Uh, section 31, I will be watching it. I will be honest, though, in that it's not the one I'm most looking forward to. I think with Star Trek, there's always the series that you're not going to like as much as the others. And I think this is probably the one that's not going to be ticking my boxes as much. Don't get me wrong. I'll watch it. I'll support it. It's just probably not going to be my series. I'm more interested in finding more about Prime Giorgio, Captain Giorgio, that was 
in the first two episodes. I'd love to see more of her character. Yeah, I agree. And I, it would be nice if they would find a way of kind of comparing and contrasting the two characters as part of the Section 31 show. But I guess we'll see. I guess you know, it's the one that I kind of have the least, not interest in, but it's the one I have the least kind of sense of where it's going and not confidence in it, but like feeling like I have a good handle on what the show is. I just don't really know what the show is yet. From Section 31 to Lower Decks, Mike McMahon, the showrunner for Lower Decks, tweeted a picture of an empty room and a table, which is a very exciting picture. Well, it actually was a very exciting picture because it indicated that Lower Decks was having its first table read of the show. So table read is when you bring together the cast, they have the script, and they sit around a table and they read the script. It's a good opportunity to kind of get a first sense of how is this show going to sound? How do these characters all work together when you when you put them all in the same room? That's very exciting because we don't know anything about the Lower Deck show. We still don't know where it's set and we don't know who the cast are. But the fact that a table read has taken place means that they do have a cast. They would not have done a table read if they did not have full casting. And they at least have the script for the pilot episode. So it seems like that project is continuing to move full speed ahead, which is very, very exciting. And hopefully we will get a couple more announcements soon about who this cast will be, who they will be playing, and where the show will be set. Jeff, do you have any preferences for where you would like the Lower Deck show to be set? Uh, not really, no. Um, uh, the picture that's been, um, that's been shared, I noticed there's lots of chairs, but as you said, no cast. So I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to see some of the names yet. I would love personally to see it in 24th century era. But you know what? It's Mike McMahon. He's proven himself uh, with Rick and Morty and the, uh, and the Twitter feed of Next Generation Season 8. So I'm looking forward to whatever they're going to throw at us with this. Agreed. When they first announced it, I was a bit lukewarm on it. But the longer I've sat with it, the more I have become excited for it. And this actually, in addition to the Picard show, might be the project I'm looking forward to the most because it's, it's very different. And I like that. I like that it's different. And I'm excited to see where they go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And our last very tantalizing hint from Alex Kurtzman coming out of the LA Times interview is that according to the LA Times, he told them that there were still other series in development that have not yet been announced. So I thought we were done at five. Seems like potentially we are not. There are still conversations going on about additional TV shows. That potentially means that something like the Starfleet Academy show or the the Khan SETI Alpha 5 project, and maybe even more projects that we don't even know about yet are in discussion, including also potentially a vehicle for the return of Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. I know there are lots of fans who would be interested in seeing that. So we're not done with Discovery, Picard, Section 31, Lower Decks, and the Nickelodeon show. There could be more on the way, which is very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, the miniseries of Khan was one of the things they first announced back when they said that they were expanding the Star Trek series, as well as the Starfleet Academy series. I did wonder for a while if the Starfleet Academy series and the Picard series were going to be one and the same, with Picard being commandant of Starfleet Academy. But obviously, that's that's gone a different way now but yeah hopefully we'll get uh, this pike series as well but personally i'm i'm rooting for a mini series on that one because i don't know how far you can go with that series yeah i agree i, I and i in the same way you thought the picard show was going to be tied into the starfleet academy show i actually thought the starfleet academy show was going to be tied into the pike show and that 
we would see Pike in sort of the final couple of years before he uh, had his accident in which we know he was training cadets and that he would kind of be the mentor figure for whoever these Starfleet Academy cadets were in that show, uh, which I guess is, is, is still possible, but we'll have to see. It seems like the, uh, the other shows, since they've got five in production right now, it might be some time before we find out what any of these additional projects are, just because the schedule is starting to fill up and we're already looking at shows running out now through 2021, 2022, just to get through their first seasons. So that's before you even get into the prospects of second seasons and third seasons. So it might be a while before we hear more about it, but very, very exciting that there is there is yet more that we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So turning from upcoming shows back to our beloved Star Trek Discovery. We have a story this week, actually a couple of data points about the popularity of Star Trek Discovery. So this is a hot button on Twitter. If you spend any time on Star Trek Twitter, being accosted by fans who are convinced the show is not popular and no one is watching. And it's tough to say how popular it is because it's a streaming show and because the networks don't release ratings information for streaming shows. All we know is that the CBS All Access hit its subscriber targets much quicker than was anticipated, which is very positive, and that the premiere of the show led to one of their biggest signups for uh, subscriptions of all time. But we have a couple of new data points to add to our sense that Star Trek Discovery is a popular show. Um, the first comes from Parrot Analytics. This was from a Screen Rant article in which Parrot Analytics, which uh, does a lot of looking at social media information and trending hashtags, does a lot of look at just the kind of flow of information across the internet and who's looking at what, has assessed Star Trek Discovery as being the most in-demand digital original series worldwide and the number two science fiction series worldwide in the period beginning April 6th and ending May 5th. So for the kind of month around the finale, which aired on April 18th, Star Trek Discovery was, according to Parrot Analytics, the most in-demand digital original series worldwide, uh, which is very, very exciting. And also, you know, the finale aired on April the 15th. The sample set runs through May the 5th, which means that lots of people were talking about Star Trek Discovery for as many as at least two weeks beyond the end of the finale. We'll have to see when they do their next month's review if Discovery has fallen from the top perch or not. And normally I wouldn't I wouldn't have necessarily talked about that here on Weekly Trek because you know a lot of that is just reading the tea leaves. But we also got a second data point this week, which is from Netflix itself. The Netflix UK account tweeted that in the UK, Discovery was the fifth most watched series on Netflix in April in that country. So certainly for British fans, Star Trek Discovery is very, very popular. It is the fifth most popular show on Netflix for the month of April. And British Star Trek fans, I think, are no more or less likely to like Star Trek Discovery than fans from other countries. And so it's a good indication that if the show is popular in the UK, which it very clearly is, it's popular everywhere. But Jeff, how are you feeling about uh, the popularity of Star Trek Discovery? Seems pretty popular, huh? It seems very popular, much to the disgust of uh, many people that you'd come across online. But, you know, it's, it's up against some really big hitters as well on some of these lists that we've seen. The Netflix list is up against things like Riverdale, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Santa Clarita Diet, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, all very, very popular programs. And the, the, um, the top 10 that was on Screen Rant, again, you've got 
Sabrina on there. You've got the Grand Tour. You've got Stranger Things. You've got the Umbrella Academy. It's beating off all these shows at present. But as you say, it would be interesting to see where it goes now over the course of the next few weeks. And I know Netflix apparently are going to be producing top 10 lists every week from now on. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Oh, yeah, that'll be that'll be really helpful in helping attract how popular the show is over time. And then when it comes back again, kind of tracking how quickly does it get back into the top 10 and how long does it stay there? Mm. So we now flash back in time 10 years. This week was the 10th anniversary of Star Trek 2009. Wow, I can't believe it's been 10 years since Star Trek 2009 came out. It feels like it was just yesterday in some ways. With a Trek movie interview in which they talked to Roberta Orkey, who was one of the executive producers for Star Trek 2009 and one of the scriptwriters. A long interview, part one was posted, uh, part two was not available by the time of recording, so our conversation is just focused on part one at this point. And it was sort of a look back on the development of Star Trek 2009, and there was lots of interesting information that came out of that, including that they had actually developed uh, another story treatment that was sort of a very focused Starfleet Academy movie, which is something that throughout the history of the Star Trek franchise had been talked about, that was Harve Bennett's desired Star Trek 6 or Star Trek 7, I think they've been talking about it since as early as Star Trek 4, was flashing back and seeing the early days of the relationship between Kirk and Spock and having there be some kind of seeing these characters at Starfleet Academy. And so it seems like at some point, Star Trek 2009, even though it was a totally different production staff, was moving in that direction. But ultimately, they decided they wanted, yes, they wanted the Academy element to it, but they also wanted to kind of tell a lot larger story that went just beyond Starfleet Academy. A couple of other interesting things. The movie seemed to entirely hinge on the participation of Leonard Nimoy. They'd written Spock into the script, anticipating that Nimoy would say yes, but if he had said no, there was no plan B. So that was very kind of ballsy on their part in some ways. They also said they never considered doing a total reboot. Um, Now, of course, there are some fans who would claim that Star Trek 2009 is a total reboot of the existing Star Trek canon when the movie takes great lengths to explain why it isn't. And it seems like from the from the Orky, Kurtzman, J.J. Abrams perspective, doing a complete and total reboot and sort of setting aside the original Star Trek canon entirely was not something that they'd ever really considered. And then there were some interesting ditched ideas that didn't make it into the final movie. So in an earlier version of the script, Spock had kind of appeared throughout the movie, initially disguising himself as Robert April, which would have been the first appearance of Robert April in any kind of televised Trek other than the animated series. Carol Marcus was in the original script for Star Trek 2009 as a love interest for Kirk, but ultimately decided to remove her to focus on the Kirk Spock relationship. And then, of course, the famous Shatner scene that was scripted but never filmed for inclusion at the end of the movie, which seems like Orky regrets not ultimately going through with doing that and says that, you know, that was J.J. Abrams' decision and maybe now Abrams himself feels like if he'd gone back, he would have done that again. And then lastly, a post credit scene, which we never got, of them coming across the Botany Bay and kind of setting up the second movie as a Khan movie though they ultimately decided to ditch that because they felt like it was the kind of thing that only the hardcore fans would really have responded to and it also put them in a box as it related to what the second movie was going to be. But Jeff, 10 years since Star Trek 2009, can you believe it? And was there anything that uh, came out of this interview that struck you? I really can't believe it. It uh, came up when I was uh, doing my posts this week for Today in Star Trek and... 
I, it just uh, it, it just struck me that I couldn't believe how long it had been since uh, since that show had been uh, since that film had come out. I was quite lucky enough to see that film about two or three days before it was launched because I had a friend who got me press screening tickets to see it. And I came away from there and people were going, what's it like? What's it like? I said, you're going to love it. Don't panic. It's, it's in good hands. But this interview was absolutely fascinating. The story about Spock being the, the troublemaking time traveler, he quotes it as, who would turn out to be Mr. Spock. I think that would have been really fascinating to see. But uh, yeah, I, I think the way they went in the end was the right choice. Did it need Shatner in it at the end? I don't think it did, to be honest. I think Leonard Nimoy, uh, Nimoy on his own really helped it pass the baton over to this new era of Star Trek. Yeah, I think so. It, it, I think the movie may have been a little overstuffed if it also had Shatner in it. And I think it would have taken yes. away from from Nimoy's participation, which was so crucial to the film and done so, so well that anything that took away the attention and focus from that, I think ultimately would have been to the film's detriment. Yeah, and I noticed as well that um, even though Roberto Orsi was saying that they were calling it a reboot, he was trying to stay clear of actually thinking about it as a reboot um, himself. He was saying it's a sequel because it is a sequel to Nemesis. It just happens to happen earlier on it definitely is a sequel to nemesis and it's about to be kind of a middle chapter in the nemesis star trek 2009 picard show Mm. continuum because we know the picard show is going to pick up some of the elements that came out of star trek 2009 from the prime timeline around the destruction of romulus so it very much sits right in the middle of the star trek timeline even though the majority of the events take place in an alternate timeline in the past. Yeah, and Picard obviously was working with Ambassador Spock for the reunification of Vulcan and Romulus. So that's, I reckon that's got to be part of the implication of where the Picard movie is going. Sorry to go back to that topic. No, no that's a perfect segue because you said your theory this week was about the Picard show. So yes. let's transition to the theories. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I hope I'm wrong. But everything I hear about the Picard show leads me in one direction. And I, I can't help but think that this is going to be a swan song for Picard. We know that they've said that the Picard series is meant to last three seasons. I'm not entirely sure that we're going to still have Picard in it by the end of it. And I reckon at some point there's going to be fallout over Picard's death and where they go from there. Yeah, it, I've thought about this a lot too, because it does seem like the project that caused Patrick Stewart to reconsider whether he wanted to come back to Star Trek or not was Logan. The yes. final appearance of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, which in many of the same kind of ways as the Picard show has been set up was fast forward to the future, show this man no longer being a hero at a low point and then tell the final chapter of his life, which was a great movie and a really great way to kind of end the, the arc for that character in a really satisfying way. And it seems like, Patrick Stewart took a lot away from that experience and that potentially the writers took a decent amount away from that experience as well. So yeah, it would not surprise me at all if this show was going to tell us the final chapter for this character. Yeah. At the end of season one, 
um, death is is sort of where I was thinking as well. Again, as I said, I hope I'm completely wrong. I hope we see Picard still fighting the good fight by the end of episode 30. But um, let's see. Yeah, let's see. We're sure exciting to find out. Yeah, absolutely. So my theory this week is also about the Picard show. It's a minor one based on some conversation I saw online this week around the uniforms, the Starfleet uniforms. So we have a pretty good sense at this point that Picard will not be in Starfleet anymore. But I would be shocked if we didn't see Starfleet uniforms at some point in the show. And some folks are speculating and saying they wanted those uniforms to be the same as the uniforms that we saw in All Good Things and The Visitor and Endgame. And I don't think we will see those uniforms. I think that... They will develop their own Starfleet uniforms. My guess will be they will take lots of cues from the previous Starfleet uniforms, but I don't think they will go in the direction of using a design like the ones that we saw in All Good Things. And the reason I say that is because those uniforms, I think, were designed for a particular purpose, which was to make all of the cast members look older. The design of the costume has the kind of really high waist and it just suits an quote-unquote older character much better and therefore in those scenes and all good things where you flash forward to the future or in the visitor where you flash forward or in endgame where you flash forward and you have these characters all in the kind of old makeup those uniforms work better for those characters and in demonstrating that they are of a more advanced age and then it helps you kind of in your mind see that as the future and then when you see the same actors in the next scene in the quote-unquote present day seeing them there like that so I felt like those uniforms served a purpose for the episodes they were in but aren't necessarily appropriate for just a whole show that's set in that time frame so I think we will see a Starfleet uniform that looks very familiar I just don't think it will be the All Good Things uniform yeah with um, Gersha Phillips's take on the the Starfleet uniforms in Discovery that uh, obviously we've seen Pike and Spock and number one wearing. I can't help but think that she's going to put a new spin on the future uniform. So she's going to be very, she's going to treat it with honor. She's going to treat it with respect. And who knows, we may see some hints as to the future uniforms from All Good Things and Endgame. But um, obviously put her own spin on it and uh, see where that goes. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think we will be talking about a different uniform. I can't see them recycling that one because they haven't used existing uniforms costume for costume so far. Agreed. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery or the future of the franchise that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Jeff Owen, for joining me today. Jeff, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Best way to contact me is on Twitter. I'm on NCC underscore 17 Formula One, or I've also got my fan page, which is Today in Star Trek, which is all about events on this day in Star Trek history. Which is a really good follow if you want to keep up to date on the significance that each day has in the history of Star Trek. I really, really enjoy it. It's coming up to one year now since I've started doing it as well so I'm trying to decide where to go next with it. That's great. 
That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Until next week, thank you, Jeff. Thank you to all of my listeners and live long and prosper.